0: Hello, and welcome to the Salem On The Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. The longest part of the night rests just in front of the most brilliant part of dawn. Sunrise is impressive, but just before dawn is where all the beauty of a new day rests. In life, it's the darkness just before the dawn that's the hardest part to step into. That's also where the brilliance is found. And in this new study of First Peter, we'll discover the blessings that can come in the darkest nights of our soul. Now, I know this is—I um, know this is the one service a year where you come expecting uh, to hear the resurrection story. But, since I aim to disappoint, uh, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4? 1 Peter chapter 4. If you wanted to hear the uh, resurrection story, you should have came at 7.30. That's when you... Now, I'm only kidding. Um, Well, I'm not kidding about turning to 1 Peter chapter 4. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, We are going to talk about that, but I'm also going to talk about the resurrection today as well. If you're in 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll be reading uh, verses 7 through 11. Listen now for the word of the Lord. The end of all things is drawing near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. And above all, maintain constant love for one another. For love is the thing that covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God, whoever serves must do so with the strength that God himself provides, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him alone belongs all the glory and power forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. amen. That's what Peter said. We'll say it with him, all right? So Peter, Peter uh, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, firmly believed a single thing. He believed that the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, was not merely a a historical marker in history that we could look back on, but in fact, it was sort of this inaugural event into a brand new era that people could live into. The resurrection is the thing in the world that started something new. The resurrection is that single moment in human history that shed light, new light, on everything that was happening in the world. And in particular, it shed new light on death itself and how you and I would engage with death in the future. You see, when we're in the the thick of very complicated situations in life, it could be sickness, it could be brokenness, it could be heartbreak, it could be despair. It even could be the grief of death that surrounds us. It's the resurrection event that brings clarity to all of those things in our lives. It brings clarity to what will happen for us and where we can live even now in light of that. And Peter, Peter is going to make that case over and over again, all throughout his letter, right here in First Peter, particularly to the churches of Asia Minor, who are facing some major complicated situation. But here's the thing that we need to remember, and I, I can't emphasize this enough just in the same way that Peter did. Peter's writings were never born from fanciful teachings of Jesus. Jesus had some amazing teachings. He did. He was a phenomenal teacher. Teachings that, that people around the world, even who are not followers of Christ, remember, love, cherish, and have, have committed to memory. But Peter did not uh, write out of those teachings. In fact, if, if you know, Jesus was Peter's rabbi all of his life, but if you take Peter's example... Jesus was a terrible teacher, apparently, in person. Because Peter didn't listen to a thing that he said. Like, he was always messing up and falling. And while Jesus, you know, offered those teachings, Peter just sort of continued to forget them. But where teachings ended in Peter's life, and I would argue the same is true for you and me, where teachings end, the resurrection continues. And I imagine in the moments just after Jesus' death on Friday, Peter probably did a lot of thinking. Uh, he had these moments in his life where he's just reflecting over and over again. It, it seems natural, right? Just after you have very boldly and publicly denied your master and your teacher, like you're probably going to turn inward and be like, "Okay, what could I have done better?" You know, grab your cup of Ethiopian coffee and some baklava. Um, because that just seems right in first century Palestine in my mind. I don't know that that's actually historically accurate at all. It doesn't matter. Ethiopian coffee is amazing. If you've never tried it, that's completely for free. But, you know, he's sitting down, he's got these things in front of him, and he's just reflecting in his mind. And I imagine that in that short time between the cross and the resurrection, Peter is thinking about all those moments where Jesus had attempted to tell him how it would end. We've talked about some of those even here. Over and over, Jesus was telling the disciples, hey, look, it's gonna end. This is going to end. This journey is going to come to an end. Everything is going to end. Guys, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, and when I go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be attacked, I'm going to be flogged, I'm going to be beaten, and then eventually, I'm going to be killed. Right? And what does Peter do? No, 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 never, Lord, never, Lord. I'll never let that happen to you until the moment happens, and then I'll deny you. But never, Lord, I won't let that happen. And Jesus immediately stops him, and he's like, get behind me, Satan. No, stop. You obviously do not understand the reality that comes in front of us. And then just shortly after that, of course, Jesus, you know, has a heart check because he was a little harsh on Peter, calling him the devil and all. But he pulls all the disciples off to the side, and he says, come here, guys, come here. Listen to me for just a minute. I just need you to hear me. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, which I'm assuming all of you do, I'm assuming as followers, you're going to continue this on even after I'm gone. If anyone wants to come after me, that person must deny themselves, they're going to have to take up their own cross, and then they'll have to follow me, right? And and just imagine Peter sitting in the darkness of Saturday, the silence of Saturday, and thinking about, he's like, Jesus said this, he told us this. And when his moment came, I denied him, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And and I can just imagine Peter sitting there and going, I heard him say it, but I thought he was just sort of pumping us up, right? You know, I thought I had to be willing to die, but I didn't think I had to die. That was, And that's the difference. That's the, the key difference. The distinction right there between between sort of the willing to and the had to is a huge change in Peter's life, and it's a change in your life as well. You see, what I would argue is that the movement from inclination, or your willingness to, to obligation, you having to, is the first step in your transformation. The movement from inclination to obligation is the first step in your transformation. Write that down in a Dr. Seuss book somewhere. That's probably somewhere in there. This This is what Peter had to experience, and this is what we have to as well. We have to move from the state of, I'm willing to do this, to, I have to do this. And when we can move in that direction, we can start to discover the eternal transformation that lies in front of us all. But what does this actually mean? What is the difference between inclination and obligation? Well, here's how I think of the difference. Inclination in your life, or that sort of willing-to attitude, I'm willing to do this, I'm willing to do that, I'm willing to do something else. Inclination sees the risk that is in front of you, but it doesn't foresee the reality. It's risky behavior, but I don't really think that it's going to manifest. It's, it's not a reality for me, but you know, if it did, I'm willing to live into that. I don't think it's going to be there, but I'm going to be on guard. I'll be prepared for it, all those types of things. And here's, if I can pause for just a minute, I think this is often where we as 21st century American Christians fall. This is where we live a lot of times in this sort of inclination stage, this willing to stage, but I don't have to stage. We've been so removed from hardship, from persecution, from all of those things. Yeah, we're willing to do all of these things, but I don't have to. We're willing to live into that, but I don't want to necessarily. I follow Christ because I assume hardship is a given, and and I'm willing to live into that life if I need to, but hopefully I won't need to. right? And so what happens in this case is our model of discipleship, and as you and I live as disciples of Christ, the, the primary importance is this space. It's a tool that we pull out if life warrants it. And our faith in Christ can sometimes be that. Just a tool that we pull off the shelf every now and then in case life throws a curveball at me. A tool that we pull off the shelf in in case I need sort of a tune-up if something's going wrong. And this is the way of inclination, this willing to. But it's not the way of obligation. Obligation is very different from inclination because where inclination sees risk but not reality, here's what obligation assumes. Obligation assumes the reality and it accepts the risks associated with it it recognizes this is the world that we're living into and because it is i'll just live under the risks that are there and that's why peter can start this section that we just read first peter chapter 4 verse 7 in the following way he says the end of all things is near it is near it is happening it is coming There's no getting around it. The end is uh, present amongst us. Therefore, I need you to change your actions. You're living in a have-to moment. The end is coming. Change your actions. Be serious and discipline yourself for the sake of prayers. Now, I love the way that Eugene Peterson offers this in his uh, paraphrase. He says, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, all coming to an end. Everything's going to be wrapped up. And so what I need you to do is take nothing for granted in the world in which you're living. Stay wide awake in prayer. Constantly be alert so that you can act accordingly because everything is, in fact, coming to the end. The events of Christ's death was that thing that catapulted Peter from this inclination life, this I'm willing to life, over to this I have to do this. I have to. I'm obliged to live into this. And there, this, this is no longer just risk assessment, right? We're not just measuring whether or not this will be risky. We're living in the reality that the end is right in front of us. And if the Savior... The Savior of the cosmos had to face that end, then guess what? Peter would say, You do too. You have to face that reality. You have to live into that reality. And I I know often, you know, you'll hear people like me say that, like, the first step into salvation is to place your trust or your faith in Christ and in the power of a resurrection. But I'm going to argue that that there's a step just before that. Oftentimes we, we call this confession. I have to confess my sins. But I would also say that the step just before placing your trust and faith in Jesus is you got to start with death. you got to start by trusting that you will die. Not, not, not a wide-out death, not death in general, but you. And I know this is, this is crazy for me to say because everybody's like, yeah, preacher, I know I'll die. Like, we all will die, right? This is, this is where we are. This is our reality and world. But you have to trust that reality right in front of you to know this, because the question that should haunt us if we know that we're dying is are we living as if we're dying? You ever notice this when someone faces their own mortality? The way they live, the way they interact, the way they engage with other people changes? You ever notice? Uh, This happens over and over again, and I'm sure you've had this experience in your families and others, that the moment someone discovers that they're facing the end of their life, Everything changes about how they engage with life. And Peter would say that in light of Christ's death and resurrection, we all should live as people who are bent on dying. We should live as if we're dying. So are we living as if we're dying? Are we living as with the assumption that the end is near? Are we living under the assumption that everything is going to be wrapped up? Because that, ch- that right there, that will change your behavior. That will change the way you live in this world. That will change how you love your neighbor. It will change how you love your family. It will change how you act in the business world. It will change everything about your environment if you just start living under the obligation that you are dying. And that's always the starting point of the life of faith because it forces us to make different decisions about the life that we're living. I think about this uh, particularly when, when we participate in some of the riskiest behavior uh, imaginable. Now, some of you maybe aren't risk takers. Others of you maybe you're, you are know, kind of adrenaline junkies. Personally, I am terrified of heights. I I am, and I'm afraid because I will die, right? Uh, I just know that one strong wind is going to come when I'm up on the top of the Empire State Building, and I'm done, all right? It doesn't matter. I get on top of the Sears Tower or the Willis Tower, whatever the heck it's called now, up in Chicago, and they got a glass box, and I know... That, you know, the glass is like this thick, and I could step over and look straight down, but I'm like, my big old booty is going to break right through that glass. It's just going to go straight down as soon as I step on Like, I realize it, I'm going to die, and I have this fear of heights. The problem is, I also don't like limitations. This combination is terrible in my life. I, I don't like you to tell me I can't do something, and that just becomes a really, really bad combination. And so I remember the first time I got on top of a rappelling wall. Anybody ever rappel? You got any repellers in here? All right. So when you get on top of a repelling wall, there's a lot of checks you got to go through, right? First of all, you gotta, you, they give you this rope, and it's just about that big around. They're like, that's going to hold your entire body weight. And I'm like, sure it is, right? They're like, check your rope. Make sure there's no, like, phrase in it or not. And then they give you this carabiner, this little piece of metal. And I'm like, isn't that a keychain? Like, are you kidding me? This is going to hold me, but this, that's what it's for, right? And, and you got to check the rope, and you got to check the carabiner, and then you got all these phrases, you know, that confuse you because it's like, on belay, belay, on, on repel. I'm rappel. I'm, I don't know what any, is that French? Why are we saying that? I'm on the rope. Could you catch me if I fall? That's all I want to say. But you say all these things, you go all through these things. And, and here's, I discover why you go through these checks. It's to lower your risk, right? If I fall off of that repelling wall, what's the consequence? Death, right? <laughs> That's, that ain't changing. Maybe that's the consequence period when I fall off that wall. I could do it. It's gonna, consequence is always going to be there. But what they try to do as you're coming up is they try to help you lower the risk. If you can make sure that there's nothing wrong with the, the rope, okay, that's one step. If you can make sure there's no cracks in the carabiner, that's another step. If you make sure that you're communicating well with other people around you, that's another step. All in this process of lowering your risk. So consequence still there, but the risk is lower, so I'm okay. But, here's the reality. Nothing ever changes with that consequence. The consequence always remains the same in that space. And here is the moment. There's always a moment. Here's the moment where it all changes for me. I remember the first time I repelled, it was on a fire tower in, in uh, Weaverville. And before I repelled, I can't demonstrate it up here, you have to step back out. And you can't just lean like this. Anybody who's ever repelled knows this. You can't lean just like this and... and tug the rope you have to actually become what is this vertical horizontal you have to become horizontal right you have to become parallel with the ground so the ground is below you like this and your body has to stick straight out while you're holding this is this is different this is not just lowering the risk this is embracing the consequence the only way i can get out there and stick straight out is i'm like okay i'm gonna die that's okay, I'll die. You know, and if I don't, whatever, but I'm just going to die. And that's exactly what my, mentally we have to do like in order to go through it. Like you can lower the risk all you want, but there comes this point where you just have to embrace the consequence and go to it. I had to obligate myself to death and then jump. And thanks be to God, I am still here today. Everything worked out. But I obligated myself in that action to death. I calculated the risk reduction. I was inclined and willing to step over to the edge. But believe me, before I leaned out over that edge, I just had to face death and be like, I could die. Okay, mom, I love you. Bye. You say all your words, whatever you need to do, and then go off over the edge. I had to live in that moment as if I was dying. And in order to live like I'm dying, I have to be willing to embrace death. But when we live, and this is really important in light of what Peter's going to say, when we live with death in front of us, we will change how we live before death comes to us. If you'll live that way now, you'll change the way you live before death ever even comes. That's exactly what Peter is going to be arguing for here in this fourth chapter. The end is near, stay disciplined. The end is near, stay alert. The end is near, death is coming. Death is surely a reality for you. So pray without ceasing. Continue to live in that reality. Be diligent with your spiritual disciplines and all of those things. And listen to the way that Eugene Peterson breaks these next two verses down, verses 8 and 9. He says, most of all, what I want you to do is I want you to love each other as if your life depended on it. Love each other as if your life depended on it. Love will make up for practically anything that happens in your life. Be quick to give a a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, and do it all cheerfully. Can you say that with me? As if your life depended on it. Say that one more time. As if your life depended on it. We love one another as if our life depends on it, as if death is staring us down as we offer this love. And you know why Peterson could translate it this way? Because your life does depend on it. The life of your neighbor does depend on it. It depends on it. The richest and purest form of life that we live is in light of our own death. And it's grounded in our love for others. And that's exactly what we see in the example that Jesus sets for us when he lays down his life on the cross. Now he ultimately will experience the full power of the resurrection. We know that the grave could not hold him. Death could not have any power over him. But his acceptance of death in this life was all grounded in this. His love for you. He would accept the death. He would accept the cruelty. He would accept the beating. And He would do it all. He would face death in the face because that's how much He loved you. And listen, listen. In order for you and me to embrace the new life that can be found in Christ's resurrection, that's what we have to do as well. We have to embrace the death that is right in front of us. We have to embrace that death that lies in front of us all. And on Resurrection Sunday... As we remember that dawn has indeed come amongst us. New life is here. New life is for us. I want you to hear me clearly. New life has come because one man, one man, Jesus Christ, was willing to live like he was dying so that others might live even while they are dying. It's a gift, a gift that he gives to each and every one of you and each and every one of us. And he offers to the entire world. And yes, death is a part of that process. It's a part of the process just like it is for every one of us who are gathered here. But through that death, through the process, we stand here this morning by the power of the resurrection. If we stand with him in his death, Paul says we will also be resurrected, exalted with him in his resurrection. And this, this is the good news of the gospel. This is what lies at the core of the gospel. Yes, we will face death. We will face the obligation of death. We will face the reality of death in our life. But just like Jesus we don't have to stop there. We don't end there. We don't, we don't have to put a put a pause right there. We can keep going. Because the same God who brought Jesus back from the dead, giving Him life through the power of the resurrection, that same God rests in you as well. That same power rests in you as well and is always with you as well to bring all those things in your life that are dead and gone back to life. You can live in the power of the resurrection in the same way that you live under the obligation of death. For all the dreams, we all have these. For all those dreams in your life that just seem to feel dead, there's a resurrection that can bring that back to life. For all those areas in your life of disappointment, and the disappointment settles on you and it's a burden that's way too heavy to bear, there's a resurrection that can bring all things back to life and it encourages us to bring all that back to life. For the depression, despair, anxiety that's all too real in your life and you live with constantly, there's a resurrection that can bring things back to life. And we can find hope in. Some of you have faced sickness. Others of you have sat with darkness and despair that few of us in the room and online can imagine. And still others may be just struggling each day to walk under the weight of grief and loss. And we feel it all the time. And you know that death is real. You've lived through it. You've experienced it. And you feel obliged to it because it sort of forced its way into your life, whether you asked for it or not. I want you to hear me clearly this morning. There's a resurrection that brings all things to life. There's a resurrection that changes us. Because it has come, I want you to love like your life depends on it. I want you to love and give yourself over as if your life depends on it. As people of the resurrection, that means we can be extravagant with our love. We can be audacious with our love. We'll be generous with our compassion to everyone we meet. And that's kind of how Peter wraps up this section with speech and actions. In verses 10 and 11, he says, Like any good stewards, God's given you this grace. Like any good stewards who's been given a gift of manifold grace, serve one another. Go ahead and serve one another with whatever gift it is that you've received. If it's your speech, speak life even words. If it's your actions, act like God. He goes on. He says, whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the word of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies. And we do all of this for one reason, so that God may be glorified in Jesus Christ and to him to him and him alone be all the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. For you are the one who brings dead things back to life. You are the one who breathes breath back into our lungs. There's no doubt we will never forget the death of Jesus Christ and the death that he died. Peter never forgot the death that Jesus died. It completely changed the way that he lived. But it changed the way he lived because now for the first time he could face his own death. But he also never forgot the resurrection. Because in light of the resurrection and the trust of the resurrection, he could live his life and trust that his life was in the hands of one who cared for him and created him. And that event, that single event in history, not the teachings, not anything that was done, not the miracles, that event was the trigger. The event of the resurrection sealed the moment of transformation in Peter's life. And that event can seal a moment in your life as well. It's the power of the resurrection that can change everything for you no matter where you are. It's not Jesus' teachings, although we love them and they're amazing and they help us live our lives in beautiful ways. It's not Jesus' miracles, although they are beyond any rational explanation. No, it's this event right here that changed the course of human history. And it's this event right here that can change you today, no matter where you are, no matter what death you're facing. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite us all to come to the table of remembrance. And oftentimes we approach this table right here as a table of memorial, remembering the death that Jesus died, the brokenness of his body and the shedding of his blood. But I want to direct our minds this morning in a very particular way. I want to not only remember the brokenness of his body and the death that we come to celebrate, but Jesus said before he left, I will not drink of this cup or eat of this plate until I do it again with you in paradise this meal is not only a meal of remembrance but it's also a meal of promise that one day you too will face life everlasting one day there will be a great resurrection and all the things that have died in your life all the hopes the dreams the disappointments the despairs all of those things that have gone away even your life itself will one day be resurrected back to life and you come to this table this morning remembering that holding on to that and embracing it and knowing that it is through Christ's power that we're able to find that. Would you stand with me today as we prepare our hearts to approach the table?